Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. 30-year fixed mortgages, tax benefits, and long-distance management training made easy are just a few of the perks of owning a short-term rental. The Short-Term Shop can help you buy and learn how to manage your property from anywhere in the world. Just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected. Again, that's theshorttermshop.com, and we are brokered by eXp. See y'all over there. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the short-term show. We have a really cool guest for y'all today. We have Brian Davila. He is a lot of things. He runs Future Flipper. He's the chief growth officer with the Ryan Pineda company. He's a real estate investor. He is an ex-child model. He has done all of the things. So really excited to talk to him today. How's it going, Brian? I am very excited to speak to you. Pumped. Awesome. Yes, we're very excited to have you as well. So why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, so I'll give you my, my quick backstory. So I was actually born in Puerto Rico, um, moved to Las Vegas as a kid with my mom, a single mom, took care of me and my sister. Um, I actually dropped out of high school about the 10th grade, um, really struggled with addiction and other things like that until I was about 25. Um, that's when I got into real estate. Um, since 2015, um, I've done more than 300 real estate transactions uh, as a realtor, a flipper, wholesaler. Uh, I own a handful of Airbnbs and I own uh, about 28 doors right now. Awesome. We're going to get into the, that stuff in just a second in terms of what you own and, and all that fun stuff. But I want to hear more about, you made a, a really big transition. There was probably some stuff in the middle there. You said you went oh, yeah. from a lot of addiction to getting into real estate. So how, what was that jump like? How does that, how did that go? So for me, uh, I think growing up, I had something called ODD. Um, so that is like obsessive defiant disorder. Um, maybe I'm saying it wrong, but, um, I had an issue with like authority. I had an issue with following rules. Um, I had an issue with doing things that I just didn't believe in. Um, so when I was in high school, uh, my mom was struggling. Uh, you know, she's a cocktail waitress. We went through the, the mark, the real estate market correction, 2008, she, you know, was did the loan mods. I saw her fighting for her house. I remember the pre-foreclosure letters, you know, all that stuff. Um, and at that time, I was like, okay, like I have to make money, you know, like I can't just go to school and watch my mom just struggle, you know? So right there, I started working, started doing whatever I could to make money, um, and then started doing some uh substances to kind of, you know, escape reality sometimes and just not be a hundred percent, uh, focus on the real world, just try to escape. Um, so I actually did that a lot from like 15 to 21. It was like, 
a big part of my life. And then 21, you know, was able to get a, a decent job working at a bar. Um, and then I did that. So from like 15 to 25, I've always had like two to three jobs. Um, and then there was a day where I was in a barbershop and, uh, this client came in and he had a, he had a big Nixon watch and he had a Mazda. And I was like, man, this guy's like, this guy's doing pretty well, you know? So I was like, Hey, what do you do? And he was like, Hey, uh, I'm in real estate. And I was like, how much do people in real estate make? He's like, Oh, we make like 50,000 a year. I was like, Whoa, 50,000 a year. That's like $4,000 a month. That's like a thousand dollars a week. Like, how do I do this? And he, you know, pointed me to a real estate school here in Las Vegas, um, went to that school. Uh, my teacher at the time gave a big motivational speech about you could do whatever you set your mind to and all this stuff. And this was before, like, I knew about YouTube and stuff like that. So I was never around that. And I was just really motivated. Um, I quit my job. Uh, I quit one of my jobs. I went and bought a new BMW with no sales at all. And uh, I was just all in on real estate. Awesome. The BMW is the quintessential realtor car. <laughs> yeah, 100%, 100%. Yeah. Went right for it. Well, well, that's, that's awesome. And um, you really came a long way from, from dropping out of high school in 10th grade. So congratulations on that. Yeah. How about yeah. you? Did you finish high school? I did. So I am one of those people who like, who really, really likes school. So I've got a master's degree, but it's not something that I think is necessary for people, especially in the real estate investing world to do. I just really like school. Like I'll probably go get a PhD one day just because I think it's fun. So there's something, I clearly have a disorder of some type. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you you have kids by chance? Yeah. I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Do you, do you, uh, random question not to get off topic. Okay, sure. Do you really want them to go to college? Is that something you really want for them? I want them to do what makes them happy. And I, but I also want them to work hard at something and, and be always moving forward and and doing things. So if what they want to do in life and what makes them happy in terms of a career requires college, which some things do, then great. Um, you know, I, I just want them to be as educated as possible. And that doesn't necessarily mean formal education and just always make sure that they're working as hard as they can towards their goals personally, because you know, what I do certainly does not require all the education that I have. (laughs) Yeah. 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 What about you? Um, very similar answer. Uh, I want my kids to do whatever they are passionate about. I don't, I'm not going to instill in them like, Hey, you need to go to college for four years and get a communications degree. At least, you know, I want them to do whatever makes them happy. My middle son, he's five. He already asked me like, Hey, you know, can I go work with you and stuff like that? So I try to show him, you know, what I'm doing, what's going on. And if they end up getting into real estate, honestly, I would love it. I would love to work with my kids and, and be around them and, you know, kind of give them a little bit of a head start. So 
Yeah, I would. I would love if our kids wanted to to come work in the family business. And I've thought about I've I've proposed it to my husband before that, you know, maybe when they get in late high school that maybe we'll like give each of them one short term rental to run to kind of learn how to do things. But he was like, no, we're not doing that. But we both. So my husband and I both before. Well, like in another life, we're in the bar (laughs) business in New York City and we have seen the um other end of people who give their kids a lot of money and don't make them work. Yeah. Not that we would be giving our kids a lot of money. We would be, you know, just help helping them along. But uh, we had a lot of regulars that were, were those type of kids that I do not want my kids to become. <laughs> yeah. So. so I was here. So right now I'm sitting in Ryan's podcast studio and um, I was here when Grant Cardone came in and um, we were talking to him. His daughter was here. And she's super high level. I don't know how old she was. I think she was like 12 or 13. The, the highest level 13 year old I've ever met in my life. And I was asking her and him, I was like, does she go to school? Like, how does she deal with like other 12 year olds who are just, you know, I don't know what other 12 year olds do, but she was like talking about real estate deals. We're going over syndication. She's standing over our shoulder while we're looking at like a potential building to buy. (laughs) And I asked them, I was like, how do you like get her to work with, you know, have fun with kids her age and, you know, learn what you guys are doing. And his response was that she doesn't really hang out with other people her age. She hangs out with her parents and her family and Grant Cardone's you know, team. Um, So that also was kind of made me think about what I want for my kids. And then I asked him like, Hey, like, do do you feel weird that she doesn't go to school and she's not going to get those like middle school, high school moments, you know, uh, those tough times and those good times. And he, he said, no, because, you know, like for him also, like me, he didn't learn anything good in school. He learned how to steal, fight, (laughs) drugs, all that stuff. So, yeah, just interesting to see how the perspective of education is changing, I think. Yeah, well, I think that it's it's also what we've, I think, pointed out in this entire conversation is that there's a lot of different places you can start to end up at the same place, which is a place of financial independence and a lot of different ways to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you, uh, we've both got, got gotten to where we are in different ways and different starting points. And it really is more about your mindset than your formal or informal education. Um, So I think that was a really good uh, sidebar topic that illustrated that, you know, it really is about mindset more than anything else. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about, let's talk about some of your properties. So tell me about your first deal. So you got your first BMW without actually having any sales. (laughs) How did you buy your first investment property? My first investment property wasn't anything special. Um, I started off as a realtor, did that for a couple of years. And then I, as soon as I had two years work history, I was like, okay, I need to start buying houses. Um, I found like a, like a three, two with a pool in Las Vegas for two twenty. Um, and at the time I was like, dude, this is so cheap. Like I got 30 years to pay $220,000. Like, this is awesome. Um, I brought the deal to my wife. I was like, Hey babe, look, I got this house. You know, we could buy it. It's 
mortgage will be 1200. I could rent it out for 1500. She was like, why would we buy this house? We live with my parents. And I was like, because we can't afford to buy like the house we want, but I could buy this house, you know, and then cash flow and all that stuff. She didn't get it. She did not want me to do it, but <laughs> you know, my ODD kicked in, just did it anyways. Um, bought that first deal. And um, I always tell people it's a cheesy line, but like, I don't think you never get rich from, you never get rich on your first deal, but you'll become rich because you did your first deal. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to get in the game. So that's why I, I just bought a house, like maybe 5k under market value. Okay. And then, so you guys ended up moving into it? No. So I bought okay. it and, and rented it out. And oh, okay. Okay. There. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. With a pool, huh? That's a, that's yeah. a luxury first deal. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, <laughs> good. it's pretty good. In Vegas, it's a nice deal. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually headed out to Vegas on Saturday. Oh, okay. Has birthday. Yep. All right. Yeah. Um, we're probably not going to look at real estate though. We always end up looking at real estate. We're not we're not going to though. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's talk about your short term rental portfolio. So, how many of those do you have? Where are they? Tell us about that. So I had six, I just sold one and I'm trying my hardest to sell one more. Um, so I had, I uh, became friends with Tony Robinson uh, from mm -hmm. the Pockets Host. We he actually lives up the street for me. Um, and uh, we both were going after the same deal in Joshua Tree. It was off market. <laughs> I ended up getting it. And he contacted me and was like, Hey, I saw you got this deal. Congratulations. Um, and then, um, I didn't know he was like the host of the bigger pocket show or whatever. And then, um, I met him out in Joshua tree. Uh, he kind of explained to me what he was doing with short-term rentals. And I was like, man, this is like, this sounds great. So I had this great idea. I was like, all right, I'm gonna buy 20 Airbnbs. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna buy 20. Cause I did the math. I don't remember the math I calculated, but if I had 20, I could make $500,000 a year in passive income. So bought like, I think seven it within like six months. Um, that ended up being a complete crap show because a shortage of labor in Joshua tree. Oh goodness. Uh, yeah. And then furnishing, it was just like, yeah, I was not yeah, that's a lot very quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a lot. <clears throat> so I, I I think I bought six in Joshua Tree and then I bought one in Lake Arrowhead. Um, my Lake Arrowhead one didn't go very well. Um, and my four of my Joshua Tree ones that I currently have do pretty well. One of them doesn't. And then I ended up selling one of the ones that I was going to keep as an Airbnb. <clears throat> So define, let's talk about that Arrowhead one. Define didn't go well. What <clears throat> happened? So this is what I think happened. So at the time, this was at the height of the uh, of the real estate market booming. Mm -hmm. So I'm flipping 10 to 15 houses at a time. And then I have this property that's like an hour and a half away that needs to be renovated. It needs to be furnished. It needs everything. It needs a new balcony, which needs permits which is in California. So that's going to take forever. So it was basically on the back burner while I'm like flipping all these houses, making a bunch of money, flipping houses. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> when I finally got around to focusing on it, 
um, I got it listed and it just didn't do well. Like, Hmm. no idea. I just didn't rent out a lot. I think I sold it this year. Um, a couple months ago, I'm actually doing a 1031 exchange with it. And I think the yearly revenue was maybe 7,000, but that was before like the hot season of like the winter in Lake Arrowhead. Hmm. I would love to see, well, I guess you don't have the listing anymore since you sold it, but I would love to have seen that and dissected, you know, what was the problem with that? Oh, I'll send you the one that's just sucking right now in, in uh Joshua tree, if you want, because okay. uh, there's, I have one that, and this is another thing I, I feel like I never see on podcast or any of this stuff. Everyone thinks all Airbnbs just freaking spit out money. No, you have to manage them. You have to, you definitely have to make sure they're decorated well. You have to manage them well. You have to manage your pricing. Yeah. And I think that's a big mistake that a lot of people made last year was they, last year, you could just buy like a Porta John and throw it up and rent it out. And that's not the case in normal times. And I think that uh, some newer investors handled that better than others. Some of them have adapted and understood, okay, you know, we we do have to pay attention to this. We do have to make tweaks every day. We have to look at what's going on here and make changes while others were like, oh, well, I guess this doesn't work anymore because last year I could just throw it up and uh, it would get rented. And this year I actually have to like log into Airbnb sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's where a lot of people made their mistake. Oh, that's where I made my mistake. (laughs) (laughs) All I heard was, oh, you can make $5,000 a month. I'm like, whoa, I'll buy 20. I'll I'll go all in. But it does take focus, operation skills, creativity, all types of things to like run a successful Airbnb. And I lack a lot of those things. So I actually, (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, for me, right, um, I could go flip a house and make 60K. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what's better? What's a higher return on my time? You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's, that's I'm, I think I'm in a very unique situation where I have two high income uh, opportunities. So the Airbnbs is almost like it was supposed to be a, a write off and like extra cash flow. But mm-hmm. I just didn't focus on them very well. So some of them just didn't do well. I just yeah. sent one to your admin, um, the one that I still have that is just not doing well. But yeah, I was actually going to do a, a video with Tony Robinson where we like go to the property and just like film like, why is it just sucking? Why so is it much? not doing well? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it definitely does take a certain personality type. Um like for me between like my husband manages ours now, but we have totally different personality types. So we Mm -hmm. were, when we first started we only had one or two, we were like doing it together and our personality types are so different that I would see what he would say to a guest. And I'd be like, Oh my God, why the hell would you say that to them? That's so rude. (laughs) And then he would see the way I handled a guest and he'd be like, why did you let them walk all over you like that? So you kind of have to like, have take one personality and, and roll with it. And, you know, some people, I'm not a flipper. I like to hang on to things. I like to, I I hate selling houses. Every time I've sold a house, I have regretted it and wished that I'd kept it, that I'd kept that added to my monthly cash flow that's coming in every month. 
And so I think that that's an important distinction to make is that a lot of people get into real estate investing and they're like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to flip and I'm going to have short-term rentals and I'm going to have a treehouse community and I'm going to own apartment buildings and I'm going to do all this crazy stuff. And then they don't realize that without, you know, focusing on one thing and doing that really well, you're not really going to be successful. You're not just going to jump in and be successful at every single asset class or every single strategy. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional short-term rental questions, we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free. It's at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live Q&A on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. How many rentals do you have? I have 250 doors. So eight of them are short terms. The rest of them are long-term. Yeah. They're so that, and that's another thing. A lot of people think, Oh, I need a thousand short-term rentals. You don't, uh, eight is what we have that makes us enough cash flow to go buy a couple apartment buildings a year now. And some, um, you know, a few short, uh, sorry, a few single family long-terms as well. So, Mm. um, you don't have to have like a huge portfolio of short-term rentals to really make a lot of money. You just have to have a few quality ones, but you do kind of have to focus on it. If the, the, like my strategy was I'm going to buy a few short-term rentals because I didn't have, we didn't have any money when we started. Our Mm -hmm. strategy was, okay, we're going to buy a few short-term rentals so that, because they make more money than long-term so that we can take that more money and scale our portfolio much more quickly than if we'd started with traditional long terms. So um, now we do have own in three separate asset classes across multiple markets. So I'm kind of contradicting myself a little bit here that Mm -hmm. I'm saying don't, you know, but we focus on one thing at a time. And then once you've got those balls all rolling the way you want them to, then, then scale into other, other types of, of asset classes. So, uh, oh, one thing I wanted to ask you, so flipping, that is your your thing, the thing that you're good at. So we haven't had too many flippers on this, um, on this Mm -hmm. podcast. So I would be really interested to hear, and I'm sure our, our listeners would too, like how you get into doing that. Yeah. So with me, I I think I started off with an advantage because I was a realtor already. Um, so I did like over a hundred realtor transactions before I flipped my first house. And, um, so I already know how to run comps. I already had access to the MLS. I understood what a fixed up house would sell for opposed to a house that needs work. Um, I understood how escrow works. I understood how loans work. I understood how FHA works, where I think a lot of people who come into flipping, they, they don't even have a basic understanding of how real estate works in general. So they not only do you need to learn real estate, they need to learn how to flip houses. So for me, um, I just was just, I see myself as an entrepreneur, even though it sounds so cheesy, um, because I, I'm not, I don't consider myself a flipper or a real estate guy. Um, I am an entrepreneur that loves to build businesses and, and make things grow. But with flipping, um, I was a realtor. I was like, all right, every time I sell a $200,000 house, I make 3%. That's 6,000. I'm paying my broker half. So I'm making like $3,000. And I was doing a lot of listings 
and I was getting a lot of NOD listings, notice of defaults. Um, uh, I was prospecting notices of defaults, getting a lot of those listings. And I noticed that investors kept buying them because they were short sales or the seller like didn't want to list them because they needed work. So these investors kept buying them. And every time I would ask the investors like, hey, like how much money are you making on this deal? They're like, oh, you know, don't worry about it. It's not as much as it used to be. You're doing a good job. Just just keep on selling us these deals. And I'm like, all right, that's weird. So that's super weird. So that happened with like five investors. And then finally, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to tell one of these guys, if they don't tell me, I'm not going to work with them. Like, <laughs> so I, I told one, I was like, hey, bro, bro, like, how much are you going to make on this deal? Honestly, try to give me that story. I was like, hey, like, I'm not going to like keep bringing you deals if, if you're like going to have this weird relationship with me. And he was like, oh, well, you know, we make about 55,000 per deal. And I'm like, okay, I just worked six months on a short sale to make $3,000 that they would haggle me down and I would have to kick in and pay little fees and fines. And you're going to make $55,000 like, holy crap. And then after that, I just, it's just simple math. It's like, all right, well, if I do 12 flips at 50 K that's a million bucks or whatever it is. So I just reverse engineered it. Like, okay, if, if I do 25 flips and I make 40 K each, that's a million dollars. I sell 50 to 60 houses a year as a realtor. I only have to do half of the transactions and I make twice as much or more. Um, so when I was going through this change, I actually stumbled across Ryan Pineda. And this is before Ryan had colored hair and a Rolex and all these things. Um, I reached out to him and I was like, hey, man, I, I see you're flipping houses in Vegas. I live in California. Can you mentor me? And he just ignored me. Didn't reply back, <laughs> but, uh, I followed up with him and I was like, Hey man, like, I really want to flip houses. I'll pay you. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll split a deal with you. Just like teach me how to flip houses. Um, and that's kind of when he finally responded, he was like the first one to like, help me learn how to flip houses. Okay. <laughs> And that's, that's funny that he didn't respond to you at first. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't even famous. This is before Instagram. This is before everything. He was like, didn't make content. I just like heard about him through a, a lender that I knew. So, yeah. So when you're flipping, so let's talk about this too. Are you, so with short-term rentals, we're going to, I'm, I'm going to swing back around to flipping in just a second. So, well, short-term rentals and long-term rentals. So the, a lot of the mindset is, well, you can't always live in the best market to do that. So like maybe you live in the Bay area and real estate's really expensive. So mm -hmm. maybe you go buy a short-term rental, like in the Smoky mountains, or you buy a long-term rental in like Jacksonville, Florida, somewhere where it's more affordable and you can actually make money at the purchase <laughs> prices that they are. Does, is that the same when it comes to flipping? Do you stick to your zip code or do you just go find where it works and build a team there? Uh, I personally believe in just flipping where you live um, because like I didn't have money to flip my first few houses. I had to raise private capital. So I, I, I believe you should always flip where you live unless you live somewhere like San Francisco where the average house is $2 million dollars. 
and you know the regulations and things like that are very strict then maybe i would suggest going somewhere easier but for the most part i think you should just flip where you live and if you're trying to so if i'm brand new and i i don't really know much about real estate for example then how do i just go find a real estate agent to help me find deals or am i how am i finding deals if i'm brand new to this space if you're brand new, honestly, most real estate agents don't understand how flipping works. There's maybe like a small percentage that truly get it. Um, if I was brand new, I would honestly go on YouTube, go to Future Flipper YouTube channel, watch all the materials there. It's free. Um, but if you're looking for deals, I guess you could start off on the MLS just to get a basic, basic training on walking properties getting bids on houses and running comps, that would probably be a good place to start. Yeah, I agree with that. You kind of, in all things, kind of have to start with the MLS if you have no knowledge <laughs> of real estate altogether. Yeah. That way you can kind of understand the process a few times before you run off taking, doing all these crazy advanced strategies for finding deals. Because if you find a deal and you don't know, and you've never been through a transaction before, yeah. You're going to have a hard time. You might be able to get through it, but it's going to be a lot more difficult than it necessarily has to be. Yeah. So let's talk about scaling up and building systems for a second. So you said you're doing 12 to 15 flips at a time. Yeah. Do you have your own full-time contractors for this? Or are you still, you know, just using people from here and there that you happen to know to do the work on these things? What does that look like in terms of the actual physical contracting work? So the contracting work, I I usually have like two to three crews that I'm trying to keep working full time. So that way they don't take other jobs. Mm -hmm. So I'll like have them working on a house and I'll make sure they understand like, hey, I have another one coming up. Here it is. It's going to start on this date. I have another one after that. You know, I and I try not to give any crew more than like two houses at a time, because after two, it just starts to get really uh, slow and get the work gets sloppy. So that's what I've seen. Usually crews could work on two houses at a time before like the quality starts to go down. That's good to know because I I never would have known that. I would have thrown somebody on like, you know, five houses, whatever you have at the time. Yeah. And the, a mistake that a lot of new investors make is they do that where maybe they have five deals and they trust one contractor that hasn't finished the first one yet. So they... I've seen a lot of people prepay that contractor and then he ends up leaving and that leaves all five of their houses in a bad spot. I've seen that a lot. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. So vetting contractors is one of the hardest parts of real estate in general. And do you have any tips and tricks for people who might be newer as they're hiring contractors to do rehabs uh, on what they should look for, questions they should ask? Um, I mean, questions, obviously you want to ask if they have a license, um, if they're insured, you want to ask them if you could walk through a current project that they have. You want to ask them what are they good at and what are they not good at. Um, but usually you want to for sure try to get a finish date from them. So that's another mistake I see a lot of new flippers uh, have is I'll ask them like, hey, when's the finish date? And they're like, oh, they said it'd be like four to six weeks. It's like, yeah, no, like we need like a, like a hard finish date. Um, we need like timelines on when certain things are going to get done. Um, we need to know 
how many days are you guys going to be there? Um, so you, you almost have to babysit contractors and keep them on a very short leash because I've, I've noticed that if you're a uh, super, uh, lenient, uh, a lot of them will take advantage of you. I've, I've been taken advantage of, I've lost tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. I've lost tens of thousands of dollars to contractors because I was being lenient. I'm busy doing other things. And then, you know, before I know it, it snowballed and I have given them $30,000 and they've done $5,000 worth of work and they want more money. And then you're like, oh crap. Like now I'm in a tough spot. Yeah. And what do you do when you find yourself in those tough spots? Because I typically don't hear about it from any of our clients who have maybe bought with us that I don't hear about it until it's already done. And like, oh, well, now what do I do? Because this contractor has a lot of my money and they haven't done all the work. Now what? What tips do you have to navigate when you get into that situation? Yeah. So, so I'll tell you how not to get into it and I'll tell you what to do after you're in it. So first of all, I always pay when work is finished. I don't prepay anything. I might give a, a deposit, but I don't prepay anything. So there's some contractors where let's say, for example, the bid is 50,000. They'll say, all right, we need $25,000 to start. Absolutely not. I'll give you $2,000 and then you could do the demo. And when the demo is finished, then I'll give you whatever money you're going to do next. So the roof is next. All right. Roofs cost $10,000. I'll give you $5,000. And when the roof is finished, then I'll give you the other five. So I pay when work is finished not pay in advance. You never want to get like, uh, you you never want to let the contractors like get ahead of you on payments. Um, and then also, like I said, having a clear finish date, clear expectations on when certain things are going to get finished and just understanding that, you know, everyone, all the bad, bad contractors always have excuses. Oh, we're waiting on materials. Oh, my, my guys are sick. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Someone's always sick. You know, something's always out of order or whatever. So now I'm just like, Hey man, Hey, just to let you know, I really don't care if someone's sick or not, just so we're on the same page. Like I'm, I'm very straightforward because it is, there is a lot of money at play. And if they're a bad contractor, I rather just flush them out in the first couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Cause I, like I said, I've, I've been held hostage by contractors where I'm so far behind where I've given them so much money and the work is barely even been started where I, you almost can't go switch to someone else because you're like, crap, like this person has 40 K too much money. So now I have to get played for another two months to hopefully get caught back up. And normally it doesn't even end up happening. Normally it ends up, I'm, I just lost the money and I just need to move on. Yeah. Has that happened and, to you? Uh, so what's happened to me has more been like uh, either before money has changed hands and they're they're coming, they, they just basically don't show up for the, the job. And then the other thing that's happened to me is uh, kind of a little bit of what you said. So one thing that specifically comes to mind is we're getting pavers, uh, like basically redoing the driveway in one of our short-term rentals here in Florida. And the city is really picky about pavers and because it affects the way the stormwater drains into the earth basically. So anyway, it took like six months to get all this approved and it was really just replacing a driveway. 
And we had a guest, it was supposed to be done on Friday. We had a guest checking in on Sunday. And I want to say it was like, it was some three-day weekend over the summer, some big one that was really expensive. And it was almost done. There was just one more thing that needed to be done with like setting it. And they said, and we had a guest checking in. It was day of now. It was supposed to be done Friday. Now they're two days late and we have a guest checking in. And they're saying that uh, it, we can't finish it because it might rain later. And the guests cannot drive on the driveway until this other thing is done. And we had to kick and scream and say, it's not raining. It's not raining. Like I, it might look like it's going to rain, but that's a risk we're willing to take, like get out there and do this thing. And mm -hmm. they were, it, it ended up being fine, but it, I think it was maybe like a, a five or $6,000 booking that we would have been out because, yeah. oh, well it might rain. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that's happened is going over budget without letting us know, and then just handing us a huge bill at the end. And we're like, oh, yeah. Hey, wait, uh, what's this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. one thing also. Um, another pro tip is I tell them in the very beginning, Hey, just so you know, I don't accept change orders. If something is changing, you have to get permission because I have had that where I get a 50 K invoice. And then at the end they're like, Oh, it's 65 because this and that, and this, and it's like, Hey bro, I didn't, I didn't approve this. Yeah. So I'm paying you 50 K period. And then if I want to keep a long relationship with them, I'll negotiate, but I've had contractors where they come back to me, Hey, uh, we saw that the plumbing over here was old. So we want the house to sell for more. So we're going to replace the plumbing. And I'm like, bro, are you insane? <laughs> I'm like, this house was built. This is a true story. This house was built in the eighties. Yeah, but you know, now in 2021, the, the plumbing is so much better. It's like, dude, this house is built in the 80s. Is it leaking? No. Is anything broken? No. Well, then <laughs> you need to ask me to repipe the house. You can't just throw on stuff. But yeah. I understand the contractors with the normal mom and pop client, they get away with that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, totally. Well, this has been a wealth of information on, on a lot of things, but so we do have to wrap up, unfortunately, yeah. but I, I, we're going to have you back on for a Facebook live, even though I haven't asked you yet, we're going to talk about that offline because I think go. there's a lot of, a lot of value there that, that our Facebook community would like to probably ask you some questions. Sure. Anyway, I have three more questions, uh, till we're finished with the show. First one is what advice would you give 20 year old Brian? knowing, knowing what you know now, 20 year old, Brian, I would say, Hey, Brian, you know, you could do whatever you set your mind to, um, build confidence. Don't think that everyone is smarter and better than you just focus on whatever you want to do and you will be able to accomplish it. That is great advice. And yeah. along the same lines, what advice would you give a new investor who's looking to get started today? A new investor that is starting today in 2022 during this recession, mm -hmm. I would say you have to learn your numbers, the days of, I call it gambling, <laughs> not investing, it's gambling when you are, when you don't know how to run your numbers and you're buying flips and you're hoping that things are going to work out well, those days are over. So take the time and learn your numbers so you have a long career. Also great advice. And last question, 
what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? Um, I, I would say the most recent book right now is uh, Million Dollar Offers by Alex Hermosi because I think I'm I'm moving more into like a, a sales and marketing role. And mm -hmm. that has helped me change my mindset a lot about both. Awesome. That's a great one. No one has recommended that yet. So there we that's go. A great one. So let's talk a little bit about you and I are going to see each other live at a very cool event in January. Uh, yeah, but we're okay. going to see each other at the future flipper event and we would love all of you guys to come to come meet us there. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that, Brian? Yeah. So future flipper, um, we have an event every quarter. Last quarter, we had Alex and Layla Hermosi speaking. Um, this quarter, you're going to be there speaking. We have Pace Morby. We have Cody Sanchez. We have a whole bunch of other great speakers. And we're just going to go over pretty much all aspects of real estate and, you know, what's working in today's market. And it's going to be really awesome. And we hope to see you guys there. 100%. Yeah. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I know we just uh, talked about the Vegas event, but if our listeners want to learn more about you, follow you on social media, all that stuff, where can they do that? Um, so I'm most active on Instagram. So you can go to the Brian Davila. There's a bunch of fake pages, but I have more than a hundred thousand followers. So that should help you figure out which one <laughs> the correct page. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on and I'd love to get you on a Facebook live uh, sometime over the next few weeks. And uh, uh, yeah, thanks so much. We'll catch you later. All right. Thank you for having me on.